This is Proper State, Volume 3. The most important thing of all, gentlemen, is, and I don't have a right good name for it, because I, I'm not that kind of a guy. It's, it's just a simple old thing. It's common sense, I guess. It's, it's, it's this thing. It's, a, it's the proper state of mind. The proper state of your mind. And by the proper state of mind, I perhaps mean to find that dynamic something that comes into their hearts and souls that says, I can, I will, I must. That regardless of odds, regardless of odds, regardless of what the odds may be, I will get the job done. You're unified when you recognize you need different people with different variant views and perspectives uh, that have the same focus. We don't have to agree on everything. Like there can be issues that we uh, truly disagree on and yet we can still be moving in the same direction. Good day to you, my name is Ben Cartland and welcome to Proper State, where we explore people who do and ideas that work. Today, I'm joined by Pastor Jason Esposito. Uh, Jason has been a pastor for 27 years and is currently the lead pastor at Crossway Church in Germantown, Wisconsin, where he has been in that position for the last 17 years. Jason has a master's degree in religious education, as well as a doctorate in ministry with an emphasis in communications and transformational leadership. Jason, thank you for joining me. Uh, It's great to be here, Ben. Appreciate you having me. So as I mentioned, Jason has been at Crossway Church uh, for over 17 years now, and during his time there, he's seen the congregation grow from about 350 uh, folks on a weekend all the way up to between 1,800 and 2,000 people coming through the doors every weekend. Um, So Jason, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, what got you you interested in ministry and and why you felt it was important to uh, work with communities of faith? Yeah, well, my original intent wasn't to uh, work at a church or be a pastor. I went to college for criminal justice. That was my my track. And then kind of had a shift, really enjoyed formal education, thought I was going to be a professor. And so I uh, switched from criminal justice, started studying world religions, theology, went to graduate school, started studying philosophy and church history, and then I had an opportunity really to work with students at a church. And it was at that church where I saw the incredible impact of a faith community, of a church on individuals and uh, the long-term positive transformation that can happen in a healthy uh, community of faith. And I, I also saw an example in the senior pastor that I worked under of someone who was integrous someone who truly cared for people and someone who uh, walked uh, over the long haul in one particular community of faith that had a huge impact in uh, Southeastern Wisconsin. So it was really a progression. It wasn't my original plan. And uh, I kind of walked into it slowly over the years. Okay. And you mentioned something there. You said, you know, uh, it was, it was important to see a healthy community of faith. You know, what kind of definition do you use for healthy community of faith? Well, probably the better way to say it would be reasonably healthy because the reality (laughs) is anytime you have human beings together, whether it's in a church or or a parachurch or a company or a school, like we all have issues, we all have challenges. Uh, And so, you know, a a reasonably healthy community of faith 
I think does start with the leadership. It starts with the pastors. It starts with the board. It starts with the the key volunteer leaders and it starts with the teachers in that local church. And so I saw a church that made the mission, the main thing it had issues like any church does like the church I'm at, but it really made the the mission of the church, the primary thing and thought about every facet of the church uh, through the mission that they had. Uh, And really, though there was times of disagreement and some pushback and infighting and, you know, some different things that happen in any kind of group of people, uh, they they truly rode in the same direction. And and is that... You know, we oftentimes hear in, in in leadership that it's important to hear differing opinions. It's 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 okay to have you know conflict in in meetings. What is what's critical about you know being able to have that conflict in the meetings, uh, specifically with a community of faith, and then be able to walk out of that meeting and kind of have the same mission, the same outcome, the same everybody's on the same page about what the next steps are are going to be. Yeah. So unity, but not uniformity. And I think that's really important. It's actually a key principle that uh, Jesus taught and uh, that we are to be one. And so we want to be unified in our mission, unified in our values, unified in you know the direction we're going, the vision, the bigger vision that God has given us, but uh, but not uniform. I mean, we all we need pushback. We need to, you know, go the extra 10%, go to kind of those hard places with people. We need to challenge each other. I need to be challenged because all of us have blind spots. All of us have areas of our life that we don't recognize are dislodging us from engaging the mission. And so you want a team where everyone is rowing in the same direction, but not everyone is exactly the same. Uh, And so whether that's a staff team, a board, uh, it's really crucial that we engage uh, unity, but not uniformity. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, because, you know, these days that that is not something that you would, you know, define a lot of, of the world is having is having this, this, you know, um, not being uniform, but still having unity, um, at, at, you know, a variety of different faith gatherings, you know, you could, you have people from every different background you could think of some people that grew up rich, some people that grew up poor, some people that grew up with two parents, some people that grew up with one parent, um, and the, and the list goes on. So, you know, how, how is it possible you know, in, in the world that we live in today to have this, this unity without uniformity, because it, it just seems that there's, there's so many different people that are, that are seeking different communities of faith. Yeah. No, I think it, it's, it's challenging. And I think the last year uh, with all that's gone on in our world has revealed that at times, maybe we thought we were more unified uh, than we actually were. And so I do think that it's really crucial that we have the same primary focus. So you're you're unified when you recognize you need different people with different variant views and perspectives uh, that have the same focus. That's really key. So same focus, you can say the same mission, same same vision. I also think it's a mutual respect. And one of the challenges I see in our culture, in American culture today in this last year, whether it was crucial discussions about social issues or about the pandemic, 
was a real mutual respect to, you know, seek first to understand uh, before to be understood principle, which I know goes back to, you know, seven habits of highly effective people and other books, but it's such a, a core principle that we have to really be willing to listen to each other. So common focus, you know, common uh, vision, willingness to truly respect each other and listen to each other and try to understand variant perspectives, even if you disagree with those perspectives, uh, understanding that we don't have to agree on everything. Like there can be issues that we uh, truly disagree on, and yet we can still be in the same community of faith. We can still be moving in the same direction. And so not everything is a hill to die on. Not everything's a major. And so defining majors, understanding minors, I mean, these are all core principles to having divergent views, recognizing some of the emotional intensity of these crucial topics that we've faced over the last year and really have been with us for, uh, you know, as long as any of us have been alive and, and yet moving forward. I would say the last thing is you have to be willing to let people go. Uh, there are some people that just simply cannot be part of that particular organization, that particular community of faith. And if you're just trying to hold on to everyone and appease everyone, then you're really not going to be able to move forward into that core mission that you've been given. So, so how is, as a leader, you know, do you really reach people and, and, you know, encourage change in them? So, you know, you, you know, have, you know, call it 2000 people that, that come through the doors, uh, now, now with the COVID stuff could be come through the, come through their screen, right. you know, on online. Yeah. So when we say 2000 people, doors equal online too, right? Online, so it's exactly. like physically walking through the doors. It's people that tag into various ministries, uh, throughout the week. And so, you know, we minister to about, you know, 2000 people, but it's definitely how, uh, organizations and churches, I would say today count is very different than how they counted over a year ago. Sure. Sure. And so how, how do you engage, you know, that, that many people who would come from that many different backgrounds and, and really help them achieve those types of mentalities, help them understand that it's, it's healthier to look at the world around them and, and in a way that they're listening and respecting other thoughts. Um, you know, when, when everybody walks into a situation with their own opinions, with their own experience, with their own baggage, um, and, and, you know, I've, I've, ventured across social media enough to know that there's a, there's a lot of people with a lot of strong opinions and, and those opinions are, are going into uh, sometimes churches, sometimes synagogues, sometimes mosques. Um, and, and how do you get, get, you know, engage the, the people enough that they can start, you know, implementing change in their life to, to better understand the, the people that they interact with on a day-to-day basis. I think one of the important principles is to, uh, be unapologetic about the majors, whatever the majors are for your particular, you know, organization or for us as a church, like, like this is kind of our core. And uh, there's not a lot of majors, but there are a few majors and you don't want to hide those. You don't want to do a bait and switch. You're like, Hey, this is our core. And then with that, then say, there's a lot of other important issues, tons but you can have variant views on all those other issues and still be part of this particular community of faith, this church. But we want you to know that like, these are the hills that we feel are, are not to be messed with. You know, they're, they're the hills we're going to die on. So I think clarity is so important. Uh, Another thing is relationships. We have to break down the big group into smaller type groups, whatever that looks like. And so at, at Crossway, we have, 
groups we call grow groups, which is smaller groups that meet. We have people that meet in groups that have particular focuses, like some that are dealing with how to find um, financial peace uh, through challenging economic circumstances. Others who are gathering together because uh, they've all lost someone in their grief group. Others because they're they're struggling with the same addiction. Others are just like couples or singles or young or old. So relationships are really key. You've got to break down the big group into smaller groups where, you know, people know your name and glad you came. That was, uh, I think, a, a song for a show long, long time ago. But that's that's so crucial uh, that, that people have an awareness. I think that with that, it's that people know you really care about them. And so it's impossible for, you know, me individually to care for everyone. But if everyone is looking out for the people that are around them, then we truly are a caring environment. And people want to be part of a place where people do know their name, where they know they're cared for, that they know like, hey, this is where the community of faith, this is where the church, this is where the organization, this is what they believe. And then have a safe place where they can say, hey, I have some variant views here. So those are some of the things I think that are really important to to engage. So... And very specifically, you know, we can we can talk about, you know, politics as an example. You know, politics has become, you know, probably the most divisive thing uh, that, that the country is facing right now. And you can put kind of all of the other challenges and wrap it up into politics, whether it's whether it's social issues, whether it's race, you know, tensions, whether it's all of that. Eventually, you know, in the during the covid pandemic, it was wearing a mask or not or getting the vaccine or not. All of those issues end up, they might not start there, but end up getting wrapped into a political issue. And, you know, coming through, you know, this is a, a 20, the, this is 2021. So the 2020 elections, you know, were, were very divisive and very, you know, intense. And as, as a church that your size, I imagine you're ministering to people that come from all ranges of the spectrum, whether far to one side or the other or, or the middle. Have you seen politics being a particular a challenge uh, in recent history, more so than it had been maybe at the beginning of, of your time? Yeah, so politics is definitely a challenge in in the church, in a community of faith. I think today in any organization, uh, politics are very much a prevalent. And, you know, politics has always been there. So when you think about politics, there's there's politics as we're thinking typically of like the government we reside in, but then every organization has its own variant of 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 political frames uh, and issues that, that are going on too. But when we think about politics related to government, I think one of the challenges is that people have made politics the answer instead of realizing that politics is just a answer. So we have to move people from the to a, like, you, you know, I think the human kind of condition is to, project and hope that that person will resolve all of my woes, all of my issues, all of my discontent. And it never happens. And and no one human being can carry that kind of weight or no one political ideology can carry all that weight to, you know, resolve everything that is wrong in our culture. And so we have to see that politics are important and they're a part of the human experience, but they're just uh, a answer. They're not the answer. And so there's, there's, there's facets. So I think that's crucial. I think specifically for the church though, is that, you know, we want to point people to what we believe, what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about the Bible. And that for us is most important to help people understand more fully 
uh, what it means to mature in their faith, and then to interpret the culture around them, which include politics, through what they really believe, and and not interpret their faith through the politics. And both happen. It's not a clean type process, but we have to start with true belief, our values, our belief systems, and then allow that to exegete, to use a word, the culture around this, including politics, instead of of the other way. So why do you think people tend to default the other way? Why why do you think people tend to kind of start with their politics and allow that to inform such a large majority of their life? I think there's a lot of reasons, but (laughs) one, as I stated, I think it's easy. I think it's easier to say, I don't have to take personal responsibility, whatever the issue is, you know, whatever the the challenge, social challenge is like, I would rather just abdicate that responsibility. So I think that's a big one. If we're all honest, you know, all, you know, myself included, I, there's sometimes I just want someone else to take care of that. And uh, it's, a, it's a lot easier to just vote and have someone else take care of it or perceive that someone else or the government's going to take care of it than take ownership for the, ch- the opportunities right around you. So I think that's one reason that abdication, that, that it's easier I think that there's probably a longer conversation about uh, a misunderstanding of theology uh, of Christianity, you know, and and how that relates to to uh, politics, and specifically, uh, how does that relate to the history of the United States? Which probably is a conversation uh, too uh, too too broad and long for for our. our purposes today. But but I do think that part of it is that we simply have allowed uh, our different isms. So, and these aren't all bad, but pragmatism, consumerism, capitalism, you know, all have value, all, 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 all have aspects that I, I appreciate and, and some others, secular, uh, secularism, that's uh, always a hard one to say really fast <laughs> and uh, allowed those to inform really what we believe more than allowing our, our theology uh, to, to inform it. And so it's a, it's a little bit of a frog in a kettle kind of idea where things just kind of creep up on us. We become like the culture we're in and unless we're able to step out and kind of see what's really going on, we're, we're blind to it. And and so it's, it seems like, you know, and you've mentioned it a couple of times where, you know, in, in a variety of different forms where, where people, where you seem to put a lot of value on people examining themselves and really, you know, like you said, stepping outside of, you know, the, the, what we were just talking about politics and and looking at things more holistically, you know, and you mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, just dealing with your own stuff, dealing with your own things. Um, why do you think that, that people, or, or, or I guess a better question is, is, is how do you think is the best way for people to go about doing that? You know, we're inundated you know, our, our culture is set up where somebody is going to tell you that you're right and that the way that you're thinking of things is the right way, uh, regardless of what you think. So how, how do we go about, you know, taking a step back from that, taking a step back from our echo chamber uh, to really be able to examine ourselves? Well, that, that's really important, that phrase that you said, you know, echo chamber, because we do all exist in, to some extent in our own echo chamber. And so we have to be willing to step out and to associate with and engage people that have varying views. Like if, if all I do is spend time around the same people 
who look and act and vote and believe exactly how I look, act, vote and believe, then no wonder I, I think that my perspective is absolutely right. And I can't imagine why someone would disagree because doesn't everyone agree with us? I mean, that's how social media works, right? I mean, you just end up getting in this vein of every everything that you see affirms your own biases. So we have to intentionalize relationships out of that which is maybe comfortable and, uh, and easy for us. I think the other thing is we need to be able to read things or watch things or listen to podcasts or, you know, and read blog posts or YouTube videos or whatever. I'm I'm more of a book reader kind of guy, but um, I I think we have to read things that we're going to disagree with. I find no use in reading something that I absolutely agree with. Uh, I want to read things that are going to challenge me. So even the Bible, which I believe the Bible is true and authoritative when I read it, I'm like, Oh, I, 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 I struggle with that. So yeah, I'm struggling with what that says. I got to like, what's going on there? Like it irritates it. It challenges, it pushes on me. It blows my worldview up at times. And so that's, that's key to read things that are, are outside our, that which is normative for us. I think we have to also, uh, years ago I talked about, we need to uh, read, read uh, more books and more, uh, you know, things from dead people. Like we need to engage dead people. And what I mean by that is that I think if everyone we're reading, if everyone we're listening to is, you know, been alive in the 20th, 21st century, you know, then that, that's a certain perspective. But what did someone in 1543 have to say about that? You know, what, what did someone in a thousand AD have to say about that? And so I do think we have to recognize that just because it's new, it's not better. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's more right or more uh, embedded with truth. And so there's some great wisdom from those who have gone before us. So we need to be more familiar with with dead people and what they've written. And then the last thing I would say is also other cultures. Like if everything I read, everything I gauge is written from, you know, American culture or Western culture, uh, then that's going to be pretty myopic. So in, in the field that I traverse a lot in, you know, theology, there's more and more theology being written out of the continent of Africa and more and more theology written out of the Middle East, which is interesting because Christianity is a Middle Eastern religion. That's its origin. And uh, there's some great theology coming out of Asia. Asia. And so I need to be willing to uh, read and uh, engage people that are in different cultures. And so I'll say one more thing. I, I, and not everybody can do this, but I've had the opportunity to travel a little bit and to sit with people in Asia and sit with people uh, in in South America and to engage uh, theologians and pastors and other people in other cultures. That's been huge. And those moments really helped me realize, wow, you know, what I thought maybe was one way or the only way to see something, there's, there's two or three other doors. So, so what are some of those differences, you know, um, that you mentioned, you know, the difference between the Western way of thinking it compared to, you know, maybe the way of thinking it or philosophy from Africa or the Middle East or, or Asia, are there some, some just general differences that you've, that you've seen in the way that we've approached things uh, compared to the way that uh, others might? Yeah, I mean, there's several differences. I mean, there's a lot been written about uh, shame and honor cultures, Western cultures, not shame and honor. Uh, we're more of a justice culture and, uh, and so that right there is huge understanding that just a, a cultural um, 
value or the ethos, you know, that we live in is, is not the only way the world exists. That's a big one. And, and the, and the Bible and the scriptures and the Jewish, uh, faith and, and Christianity originally was a shame and honor culture. It's a Middle Eastern culture. Uh, so that's huge. Other things are, we're very pragmatic. We're very goal oriented, not that other people aren't, but we don't value relationships. That's probably a better way to say it as much as some cultures. And so, you know, we, we might value up and to the right uh, spreadsheets, which has some value, but it's not the only way to understand life. And uh, I've been to different cultures where much more relational uh, pace is different. We value speed. Now I know where there's a lot of globalization and we're seeing a lot of you know, different cultures kind of kind of merge together and other cultures are, are being formed. But I think there are some distinctions with that. I think we're a, a supremely pragmatic culture and pragmatism isn't always right. And so there are other cultures that uh, everyone engages some level of pragmatism, but pragmatism, uh, though pragmatic by definition, is not necessarily uh, transculturally true. And so what would you say, you know, to somebody who, you know, you know I, I work 50, 55 hours a week, you know, I come home, I have family, I take care of them. I don't have the time and energy to, to, you know, listen and digest, you know, alternative views. You know, I, I, you know, I, I hear it on the periphery and, and okay, great, but I, I don't really have the energy to really dive in and, and chew on stuff like that right now. Um, you know, as important as that is, what, what would you say to somebody who, who might say that? Well, I get it. I mean, life is really busy and uh, you know, I have uh, several children and in, in different seasons of life and I'm married and uh, you know, I've got lots of things going on. And so I, I get it. I, I get it in the sense that uh, even in my line of vocation as a pastor, you think, well, I just have time to sit around and read theology books and read perspectives and me, but I don't, I mean, there's, there's so much to uh, the community of faith, the organization that I'm part of, uh, that I could easily kind of jettison that. So, so one of it is that it just has to be, is it important to you? And can you carve out, you know, a little bit of time? Uh, but I, I think there are some simple things maybe like, like, are you watching the news? Do you, do you have a news app? Do you watch the news? Are you reading the same news app and watching the same news? And if you are, well, just variant that. Like I, I, you know, you don't have to read, you don't have to have like eight different news apps like I have on my phone, but you could have two, you could have two different perspectives. And so I think a lot of people, you're working hard, you're busy, you're coaching soccer, you're, you know, you're doing lots of different things. I get it. But are you just, do you have the same news source? Even just shifting up your news source alone uh, would be, would be huge. Uh, if you're part of a church, if you're part of a community of faith, like are you and you're spending some time there, if they offer opportunities to get in different groups that may be a little different than you would typically go to, and you're already going to spend that time, that one hour a week or whatever that is, do you take advantage of those? Uh, do you take advantage to look at maybe some of the offerings that, I mean, I know we have some of those and some different churches have those, but I know every church might not, but are, are you looking for those? And then lastly, I would just say you're working with people, aren't you? And I'm guaranteed that the people you're working with, they all don't think, act, and believe exactly the same. Are you willing to go there with at least one person? Maybe there's someone over the lunch hour or you know, there's a break. Like There's got to be at least one person at work that loves to talk 
about politics or philosophy or culture, or theology? Like, are you willing to just ask them, like, hey, what do you think about that? And even if like you completely disagree with them, you're just listening to kind of hear and understand. But I know it's hard because that's part of our, our cultural value. We don't value that. We value pace. We value production. We value bigger, better, next, all those things. And I, I'm wired like that. Like, I get that. But I have to purposely slow myself down to realize the importance of this. So, you know, one of the challenges I would see with, with leading a, a community of faith is, is you know, you, you have all these people, like we talked about, that are coming from such a variety of backgrounds. And, you know, the tendency to to project their belief structure or their ideology or their politics, um, you know, on on the leader of that community of faith. And, and so, you know, everything that I believe, I think you should believe. Um, and and if you disagree with me, then, you know, then you are wrong and I am right. You know, how do you what is something as, as, a, as a leader in that type of context what are some things you do to kind of help navigate that of, of people, you know, projecting their values onto you uh, just because they're assuming because they call themselves a Christian and you call yourself a Christian that you guys see the world the same way, have the same politics, have the same worldview um, and are disappointed when they find out otherwise. Well, I think that's, that's part of it for anyone that's going to be in a public position, whether that's in church or government or in a corporate setting or education People will always project uh, something on you and how they perceive you should be, how you should act, what you should believe. So part of that is just kind of just recognize that's kind of part of it. And you need to um, you need to understand that that's more about your own kind of personal soul health, if you want to call it emotional health and, and not to get swayed too much by that. I think some of the things, you know, real concretely that I've done, it's that I'm wrong. And I've said that. I've said that in front of a huge group of people. Like, I know I'm 25% wrong about what I believe. I just don't know what 25% it is. And so that keeps me searching and keeps me curious. So part of it is to admit you're wrong. Admit when you know you're wrong. Admit that you know you're wrong, but you don't know what where you're wrong. I think that's an important part of it. When someone disagrees with you, don't argue all the time. Uh, recently, someone came up to, up to me and they're, you know, we're, we're disagreeing with something and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to come back next week because I, I disagree with what you said. And I said, well, good. Like, I'm glad you disagree <laughs> with me. I said, if you agreed with every single thing I said, that would call us a cult and we're not a cult. <laughs> and so I hope you disagree with me. I disagree with me. I listened to things I said a year ago and I'm like, Wow. You know, maybe a year from now, I'll listen to this podcast and be like, what? Like, what did I say? Like, and, and so I just think we're not static. Like, we're growing. We're fluid. So part of it is to just be real, be honest, be integrous, not to be as defensive. And I can be defensive. I'm, you know, I can, I get it. Um, and, and I think that's huge and uh, really challenging people that it's okay to disagree with me. And it's okay to have variant views. But I want you to know, like, this is what we're about as an organization. You know, this is the direction we're going. And these, again, these are our majors. These are core beliefs. But one of our, what we call our uh, culture forming distinctives, our primary one is that we're a community for the curious. And so continuing to communicate that, explain that, talk about that, propagate that is important. And then telling stories. 
about different people that have disagreed that are in the church that they still exist together. They can actually exist in the same community and not agree on everything. So earlier you mentioned, you know, or, or just a minute ago, you mentioned, you know, to be real, to be honest, to be integrous. And, and when you were talking about kind of your first church experience, you talked about a lead pastor that was kind of in it for the long haul and walked with integrity and, and lived his life with integrity. Uh, how important as a, as a leader uh, of a community of faith, but also just a, a leadership in general, uh, how important do you think those types of, of, you know, intangibles are? Yeah, I mean, that's everything. I mean, you know, you can build uh, a big organization, even a community of faith organization and not be integrous, you know, and not be transparent and be distant and truly not care about uh, the people that you are working with or the people that you are serving. Uh, But at the end, I mean, all, all you get is who you've become and uh, the person you are and then the people you impact. You know, companies come and go, churches come and go, organizations come and go, leadership transitions. Like, like that, that's all there is. Your integrity, your uh, ability to continue to grow and mature and to, and to really care uh, for the people around and to help them grow and mature, you know, whatever that looks like in your context. Everything else is just uh, is secondary to that. So, what would what would you say is is the most uh, the most challenging thing that you face um, on a, on a day to day basis? You know, leading leading in general, but but specifically leading a community of faith. Me, me, I'm the most <laughs> challenging thing. So, and I think if I don't think that, then I've got some serious issues. Like my own uh, blind spots, my own dysfunction, uh, my own selfishness, uh, my own myopic views. Uh, you know, you know, I am my own fragile ego at times. You know, I'm really, as a leader, my biggest challenge. If I can get that right, if I can be willing to get the right people around me, you know, the right people on the bus and the right seats, who are all going in the same direction, but willing to push on each other, willing to stretch each other, willing to challenge each other, and yet have that mutual love and care and passion for that same same vision. I mean, uh, that that's enormous. That's huge. And so I, I think, and I, I would uh, suggest, and I firmly believe that every leader's biggest challenge is themselves. And and I would just say that's true of everyone. Uh, and it doesn't mean that there aren't challenges. It, you know, it's challenging to navigate, uh, you know, a pandemic world. It was challenging to pivot and overuse word, the church from a brick and mortar entity to an online entity and brick and mortar. It's challenging to open up locations. It's challenging to manage a growing staff. It's challenging to sit down with somebody who just lost a child or is trying to decide what to do with 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 their grandma who's really sick or struggling in their marriage or has a wayward child. It's challenging to stand up in front of people and say, Hey, I've been studying this book, the Bible, and, and this is what I believe we need to hear. And, and that's challenging. Like all of that stuff is really hard, but the most difficult thing is to not lose myself in law and not go sideways. So what would be a, a first step that you would recommend to, you know, a leader, who, who is, who's listening and says, you know what, I I've never really looked at myself. I, that, that's a, it's an interesting, you know, way to approach it. I've spent all my time, 
you know, learning all of these leadership skills, you know, about how to run a good team and how to motivate people, but I've never really looked at myself, you know, what would you say is a good first step to, for somebody to, to start walking that path of, of exploring their self, uh, as it, as it relates to their leadership? Yeah, I would say that's, uh, well, first of all, I, I just wouldn't want to work for a leader, uh, who isn't, uh, self-aware and who hasn't taken time to really, you know, delve into their own, uh, emotional intelligence, their own, uh, ego or soul issues. I just think it's so crucial, but for the person that's willing then I would say, you know, find someone who's one step ahead of you. They don't have to be 10 steps ahead of you. They don't have to be a hundred step. Doesn't have to be Yoda. You know, it doesn't have to be Mr. Miyagi. You know, I love pop culture. You know, those are two references from some pop culture movies, but, but it needs to be someone who's a step ahead of you. And so uh, I think in my context, I want to find someone who is a little bit more mature in their Christian faith, a little bit more more mature in their leadership, a little bit more mature, a step ahead of me and understanding how to lead it in my context and in other contexts. And and then again, I think that's it's important what we're focusing on. And so, you know, I believe this incredible book called the Bible that it's not everything we can know, but it's everything we need to know for uh Christian maturity and faith and followership. And so I would say, you know, diving into that book, it's transformational, but find someone who's a step ahead of you and open yourself up to them and allow them to speak into your life and stop being so defensive and stop running so fast that you can't really know yourself. So perhaps one of the biggest challenges, and I've been influenced by a philosopher, his name is Dallas Willard, you know, to all of our maturity, and all of our growth is that we're just not willing to slow down and we cannot mature and we cannot truly understand who we are until we slow down enough to listen to ourselves and, and listen, I believe to a God who wants to reveal himself to us and reveal who we truly are. And so slow down, find someone a step ahead of you and, uh, and some of the other suggestions and things that we talked about in the past. So why do you think, you know, you, you, you say all that, you know, the self-exploration and wouldn't want to work for somebody who, who wasn't self-aware. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense, you know, to me that resonates, uh, uh, really well. And, and, and I would, I would say, yeah, I would, I would love to work for somebody who, who was self-aware. Why do you think we as a society glorify the, uh, the opposite? Why do you think that we glorify oftentimes these leaders that, you know, uh, the books that were written about, you know, leaders and people who are ultimately successful in business, a lot of times turn out to be a sociopath or, or, or something like that, you know, and we say, we write books about that and, 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 and what it takes, you know, and, and we glorify what it takes to kind of, uh, become successful in that way, which is to me, the very, very opposite of, of what you are describing, um, in order to be successful and have longevity in, in what you're doing and remaining integrous. Well, it goes back to what we really value, you know, and we value production and, and that can be in a church that could be, uh, obviously in a, in a company setting, uh, that could be an educational world. Uh, and so if, if our highest value is what we produce and therefore then how, how people perceive us or the money we can make, if we, if we're bigger and faster and broader, 
then we're never going to slow down enough to truly look at ourselves or want to be around someone who says, you know, that's important. You know, it's important to, uh, you know, produce a particular product as a company. It's important to make money. Obviously, it's important in education to help kids get certain grades. It's, you know, important for churches to be, you know, reaching their community and seeing people come and connect. But if that's the end game, then uh, we've lost ourselves. But we value that above uh, uh, we value that above the things the things seen. Let's say it that way are often valued more than the things unseen. And why do you think you know ultimately you know for 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 ultimate um, uh, you know success or, or longevity? Why do you think the things unseen are more important than the things that are seen? Well, because I do believe that we're immortal beings. I believe that we're internal beings, that this life, as great and hard as it is, uh, is not all there is. There's life after this life. And so I I think that's a crucial belief that shapes uh, how I live, because how I live now, not only is that temporal, but it's going to directly impact what life looks after this life. So I think there's continuity between life now and life to come. So that, that that's that's pretty significant. I could take that in several different angles uh, as well. But, and it doesn't quite, it addresses what you're saying, but from a different angle, I, I do have a, a core belief that we're, we're born broken, that we're not born uh, 100% uh, untainted. And so I think that's a huge factor in, in the whole story. And, and I, I just think about parenting, like most parents don't have to teach their kids how to be selfish or say mine or talk back to their parents or hold on to their toy or not go to bed when they're supposed to go to bed. Like we don't, we don't have to have like how to disrespect your parents and how to fight with your sibling or how to be selfish classes with our children. <laughs> like they just naturally or unnaturally once they learn that. That's because we're not, none of us are born right, but we do have to teach our kids how to be kind, how to be loving, how to share, how to be respectful. And so I just think, you know, on that level, we can just see it. And I think that informs from a different angle, kind of your question. Well, Jason, I, I, I definitely appreciate the time. I, I appreciate the, the unique perspective that you have. I mean, na- navigating, um, you know, kind of the world that we're in right now. Um, from from a, a, a position of, of leading a community of faith is certainly a unique uh, way to to look at things and look at leadership and and look at you know how to how to continue to move this world forward and and continue to to bring people together and, and get along. So uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah, and I, and I, it's been great uh, talking with you, Ben. You know, this is such a such an important topic. You know, the questions you're asking so crucial in every generation, but especially ours. And I I think that uh, though I I do believe firmly in, in, in Jesus Christ and in, uh, in his story and what he wants to do. uh, I, I, I also see that there is uh, there's a way in which the church can be, uh, a catalyst for greater unity and healing uh, in our communities, or the church could be, uh, you know, part of part of the problem. And I, I think that's maybe taking this in another direction. But I'm really committed and excited to be part of Crossway Church, which though it's not a perfect church, we got issues and challenges, and we're a bunch of broken people. 
that are figuring out together that we're kind of centered on Jesus and we're trying to figure out more fully what does it mean to know him and what does it mean to be a community of faith that's positively impacting the world that is. So thanks for having me, Ben. I really appreciate it. That was Jason Esposito, lead pastor of Crossway Church for the last 17 years. Uh, and and what I have to say is just what a personally challenging conversation that was for me. Um, just the amount of emphasis that that he put on self-reflection, um, really being able to understand yourself uh, in order, you know, understand yourself first in order to uh, really be able to start to understand, you know, others and and lead well. Um, admitting you're wrong. Um, I love what he said about I'm 25% wrong about something. I just don't know what that is. And I think there's not a lot of people that think that way or at least publicly say that. And just how critical of a mindset that is to to look at somebody whether you're leading them to look at somebody whether uh, you're just you're just interacting in a conversation with somebody you disagree with or, or learning something new to sit there and think to yourself or even state I'm 25 percent wrong about something that I think something that I feel something that I might quote know to be true I just don't know what that 25 percent is and then also to be able to say. Uh, I do know what I'm wrong about, and when I've learned that I've been wrong, and, and admit that um, that that is just not uh, something that that we weave into key uh, character uh, traits uh, of 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 our culture. Uh, seeking others' opinion, looking intentionally for people who don't agree with you, looking intentionally for people who uh, are are counter to your your worldview so that you can learn more and expand more and maybe find what that 25% that you might be wrong about is. And then to me, just the, the humility, uh, humility that it takes to, to, to approach each situation and say, I don't know everything. I'm not right about everything. And to listen, the emphasis on listening, uh, to better understand each other, you know, just because you listen doesn't mean that you're putting yourself in a weaker position um, because you are learning more and becoming more well-rounded and not to mention if, if you and the person you're talking to are both listening, well, then you're both, you know, in, in the same position and both learning from each other there, there's no, you know, just because you listen, uh, to me, uh, just because you listen, it does not mean you're in a position of weakness. It does not mean that you are less strong than a person who is emphatically proclaiming a, a particular side of an argument or a particular belief, uh, no matter what, uh, no matter what evidence or or, or conversation is is put in front of them, um, you know. And how many times do we look at external leadership skills and value, you know, external leadership skills um, rather than valuing, you know, leaders that um, worry about themselves. And realize, like he said, you know, the, the biggest challenge that he has in leadership is himself. And that is that is a, a mindset that that many leaders don't have. Many leaders, by the time they get to a leadership position, will think that I, you know, I have it all figured out. I've done a good, I've done a good job. I've worked hard. I know the most. Uh, and they think that the reason that their team or their company or their organization uh, or their family is not successful. Um, is because of other people's shortcomings rather than looking at themselves and saying, hey, you know, I could be the reason uh, I am the biggest challenge as to why this organization, uh, this company, uh, whatever it might be, this community of faith in Jason's case, 
uh, I'm the biggest reason that there's issues in this or could be issues in this and really seeking out how to improve yourself uh, to, to prevent those issues from, from, you know, becoming an issue and a stumbling block for the organization. So uh, for me, just what a, what a, a tremendously personally challenging uh, conversation there uh, just to look at my own life, my own leadership, my own, the areas in my life where I have influence with people around me and, and am I approaching it in the, in that way uh, to really challenge myself to uh, listen more, to listen better and to approach each situation with a little bit of humility and that humility does not equal equal weakness. I, I think that's that's so important. Uh, this was Proper State. My name is Ben Cartland. Thank you for joining me.